Welcome to the second season of the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. In season two, we will take a deeper dive into how the strands of the PEBC teaching framework of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding for each and every student. I'm honored to share these conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers with you. Thank you so much for listening in. Brad Riley is a behavior technician for Denver Public Schools. He provides supports to individual students and coaching to school staff to implement specially designed instruction to improve outcomes for students with challenging behavior. And he provides positive behavior supports during the problem-solving process for students with behavioral challenges. Brad, thank you so much for joining me today on the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Michelle. You know, I just can't wait to dive into this conversation today. At the PEBC, one of our guiding questions that guides all of our work with teachers and leaders and schools and students is, how do you teach for agency, equity, and understanding? And your work as a behavior technician really relates to all of those outcomes. So this morning, I really want to dive into what does a behavior technician do, but also how can teachers really interpret student behavior almost as a form of communication? And what do we need to be thinking about as we start this second semester? I want to start with you. So I know that you weren't planning on a career in education. So let's hear a little bit about you and your story and your journey to where you are today. Yeah. um, So as you said and stated, I was not planning on getting into education. Um, However, I did grow up in a family of educators. And so that visual was there for me of being a teacher, being an educator, um, working with scholars. And um, I kind of fell into it. I initially was going to school for business management, thought I was going to be a big marketing guru and this big major business person. Um, And I fell into actually coaching and I started coaching at my old middle school back home in Michigan and uh, fell in love with it. I fell in love with the joy of the scholars. I fell in love with um, seeing scholars be successful. And from there, it just opportunities presented themselves and I, I went for it and I landed in education. And here I am today as a behavior technician. Wow. That is, I mean, that's a really interesting story because so many of us in education have these different pathways. Some of us were playing, you know, school in our basements as little kids with all of our stuffed animals and others all of a sudden landed here. And so it's it such a gift to have you and your experience and your experiences as a coach and as a mentor um, within the field. So let's dive into your role because I think when people hear the term behavior technician, different things come to mind. I mean, my first paid position as an educator was to be the in-school suspension teacher at a high school in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I didn't really have the tools or the wherewithal to kind of know what I was getting into. But I was a newly hired, right out of teacher school person who put me in that role. And so I think you know everyone listening has some schema about what might a behavior technician do. But I think hearing about your role might surprise us a little bit. So go for it. What, is, what do you do? What does a day look like and sound like for you or a week? Yeah, we so as a behavior technician, to be quite honest with you, when I when I read that title, it was 
I was like, what is this? What do they do? Like, are we working with behavior and doing like some sort of technology as well? What What is this? But um, what we really do is we look at behavior and you mentioned it earlier. <clears throat> we will go into uh, school spaces and we look at behavior as a form of communication. And we really try to help educators, leadership, any staff, parents, um, really understand behavior as a form of communication. And so as a behavior technician, what we'll do is it, it's really multifaceted in what we do. We go into schools and we work with everything from systems and structures that can support our scholars when they are struggling, um, be that academically or be that with certain things that are going on in their lives. Um, but we also go in and we want to make sure that when we look at behavior and we're trying to understand it as a form of communication, that we're also proactively putting things in place for our scholars to actually build skills. So it really is not about managing behavior. And, and you hear that term quite a bit, behavior management. And to be quite honest, as a person who works in, in the field of education, but as specifically as a behavior technician, um, behavior management always felt a little weird to me. Like we're, we're just kind of doing this and we're doing that. And if it works here, great. If it doesn't, okay, let's go to a lot of different other things. But what we're really trying to do is help scholars understand themselves. And we're trying to help them understand that, yes, there are things taking place, but there are skills that we can build to help you cope, to help you ask questions, whether that be of your family, that of the behavior technician in the school, teachers, staff, and then what we want to do is we really want to focus on the relationship. So when we talk about behavior as a form of communication, yes, we're going to come in, we're going to do, um, we might have to do a behavior improvement plan. We might have to do an FBA. We may have to do these different things, but it's all in the name of proactiveness in order for scholars to build skills. And also for our educators within the classrooms to be able to connect with those scholars on a level to say, I've got behaviors too. And sometimes, you know, I might be coming to work today and I get cut off on the highway and that might change my behavior before I come into the school. And so what we want to do is we really want to bridge a gap to say we all come with different behaviors. We all come with different experiences, but we all have the ability to understand behavior as a form of communication. And we all have the ability to help one another with those skill builders, because that's really what it's about. When it's all said and done, we're really trying to build skills. And the way that I, I relay it to staff and schools is that it's no different than us teaching two plus two. It's no different than us teaching that science experiment or whatever it might be. We're really educating ourselves on ourselves in order to move forward and understand what it is that's taking place within that behavior. That's really interesting because I was thinking when you were talking about behavior management, that seems so extrinsic or so external, right? It's like about control, yes. about managing different factors. But the work that you're talking about seems really internal. Yes. And internal from a student or a scholar perspective, as well as an educator or a systems perspective. So really a building interpersonal skills, building communication skills, building relationships. Seems like that's at the heart of your work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's exactly it is those interpersonal pieces. Um, we want to seek understanding of, of what's happening with the particular behaviors that we see. Um, and there's so many different behaviors. Right. But again, if, if I'm a scholar who is maybe laying my head down quite a bit, 
what we want to get to is is asking the questions, not necessarily assuming that this scholar is doing this to defy or this scholar is doing this because um, they just in, in some cases are called lazy or anything of that nature. We really want to understand what's taking place, what's happening. And that interpersonal piece is always so important. Um, and we, I mean, we constantly talk about relationships, relationships, relationships. And I know it becomes a little bit redundant, but that's a huge piece in order to, to break down some of these barriers that exist um, in order for us to truly understand what's going on with our scholars and what's going on with ourselves even. Well, and just even you know, listening to you, I'm thinking about the work of John Hattie and kind of some of those meta-analyses around student-teacher relationships. Mm-hmm. We know that a student-teacher relationship has a very high effect size on student achievement. And also thinking about Zaretta Hammond and her work with neuroscience and education and culturally responsive teaching and just the, the power of a relationship that students can't learn if they don't feel safe. Absolutely. And so we have to have strong relationships between, you know, I love the term that you use scholar, scholar to scholar, but we also have to have those adult to student or scholar relationships as well. So in order to really cultivate those types of relationships, and I know everyone listening has been in the classroom and everyone has a student who's coming to mind that there's been a challenge for some whatever reason, interpersonal challenge, maybe didn't connect, maybe there were some behaviors that that student was bringing to a classroom that were unfamiliar or you weren't really sure how to support that student. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about you know, mindsets. I know that that's something that's really important to you. And as a, as a, as an educator or as a school leader or as, you know, a paraprofessional in a building, what does, how does my mindset kind of fall into this work? What's the relationship there? Well, before I touch on that, I want to go back to that safety piece. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I want to, something that I, I carry with me and something that I've really state often in any of the trainings that I do, um, any of the conversations that I have around safety, um, is I want people to understand that when we are working with scholars in our buildings, or even if you're working in a camp, it doesn't matter where you're working with a scholar. We have to understand that safety is is not a space. Safety is is you. Safety is us. Mm. And so when, when scholars come to us and they have needs, um, that need to be met, then we have to look at ourselves and say, what do I bring to the table to help this scholar actually see safety? Because sometimes our our actions, we can have the safest building in the world and and all of these different things in our buildings that, that make it safe. But if I am not focused on my relationship with the scholar in a moment of struggle, then I can immediately become that unsafe I, I can break down all of that safety in my interactions with that scholar. So I, I very much want people to understand that safety is not a space. Safety is you. Because when that scholar is struggling, they're looking to you for some sort of connection and, and some sort of real, like, I need help. And I'm looking to you for that help, whether it's I need to be calmed down, whether it's restorative practices, whether it's I need to be modeled to of how to apologize. It can be a number of things. But those are the skills that I'm speaking to 
that actually mm-hmm. allow a scholar to take on that piece of this is what safety looks like. This is what it feels like. This is what it sounds like. And, and they can carry those pieces forward. And that's how we truly get to the, the safe space. If we want to talk about the space, that's how we truly get to that space. Um, so I just wanted to plug that piece in because that's that's very, very important to me that we as educators carry forward, especially when we think about that social emotional piece. Um, it's, it's our scholars are so delicate, you know, and, and they've had so many different lived experiences. And that's not to say that we as adults, obviously, we, we have had lived experiences as well. So it's it's really up to us to start to model those pieces of what safety looks like, feels like, sounds like so that it it permeates, literally permeates throughout our buildings. Um, mm-hmm. And then we can talk about a safe space. That That's an opinion of mine, but it's it's very real in my experience of working with behaviors and, and working with scholars and families and educators and staff in schools. Um, but to that mindset piece, we, so the mindset piece and how we can go about checking in on our mindset is is honestly checking in with ourselves to really stop and think about what I was just talking a little bit about of those lived yeah. experiences, right? We've had these lived experiences. And if we can get to a place of checking in with ourselves to say, how did how did that impact me? And how did that particular experience, maybe it might be that I, again, I just had an off day and my interaction with the scholar was maybe not the most positive, but in that moment, I my mindset can take me to one of two places. It can turn into this piece of, I took that personal. And so therefore now my behavior is going to become this towards this scholar. And that scholar's behavior in return becomes X, Y, and Z behavior back towards me. And that can be the negative side of it. That can be the negative impact that starts to take place in those interpersonal pieces that we spoke about. Well, if I'm not checking in with myself to really find out what's happening with me and what's taking place with me and how I'm actually looking at the scholar or if I'm taking something personal, then that, I mean, we know where that can go. And I'm sure listeners and and folks <laughs> understand what I'm saying in that. However, at the same time, when we look at our mindsets, what we have to really ask ourselves is we have to go back to our why. Um, we have to go back to the place of, of what got me into this work. You know, why, why did I get into this field of education? What is it that I'm looking to do when I'm around my scholars? And what we have to also look at is that mindset piece there, there's a question around intention versus impact. And for me, I put impact above intention. And the reason for that is, is because if I'm consciously thinking about what are my thoughts around the scholar? What are my assumptions? How do I speak about this scholar? How do it, I, I want to stay there for a moment just on the how do I speak about a scholar? Because what happens sometimes around behavior is is we speak about behavior in such a way that it again it has this feeling of that's personal that was towards me but if we stop and we say that behavior is communicating something to me i'm not 100% sure what it is right now but what i am willing to do is ask the questions how can i help you what made you feel that way 
and get to a place of communication with the scholar in order for them to know, I don't, my mindset is not that you're a bad child. My mindset is not that um, I think you're going to do that all the time or this, that, and other. My mindset, we have to try to shift that to a place of asking questions of what's really taking place, what's really happening for our scholars. And that does lead into pieces around bias. You know, we have to be honest with ourselves. If we're truly going to do um, the bias work, that bias work requires us to ask questions of ourselves, not necessarily asking questions of others all the time. It really is a place of coming to yourself and saying, why am I thinking that way? What makes me think that way? And how can I start to shift my mindset to a place of thinking about my why. If my why is that I'm here to make sure that a scholar has the best educational experience that they can, then I'm going to think differently about how I approach, how I speak to that scholar, my engagement with the family. Um, and I'm going to be willing to acknowledge that maybe, maybe I've made some mistakes. And maybe my scholar is not necessarily seeing themselves as um, a, a friend of mine has a, a, a clothing line and it's called Worthy Being. And, and I love that because I've, I've carried that so much as if we can see a worthy being and we can see people as people, then that's going to shift the mindset automatically because we all come with something and we're all in this together. And yes, there are going to be moments of struggle and there are going to be moments of just, you know, I, I, I didn't quite get it right there, but I can still come back and ask questions. I can still come back and see what, what did I miss there? And, and I can say that, right? I can say that to whether I'm talking to a teacher because the work, I know we're talking about scholars quite a bit and the interaction and, and um, between scholars and the adults, but this is even about how we interact with our own staff. Mm -hmm. Right. There's there's work to be done even within that, because then we can get into the broader conversation around building culture and our systems and our structures and things of that nature. So a lot of the, the work that you're talking about and really supporting each and every student to have the very best outcomes. I'm hearing some some different like kind of big themes are emerging for me. And one, I'm, you know, it just took me back in my time machine, like to graduate school and reading Lisa Delpit and thinking about in Geneva Gay and the term warm demander. And how can we be warm demanders, but also aware of our own internal biases and, and ask the questions, like what I think like what you said was so powerful, this idea of the tension between intention and impact. Mm -hmm. Because I might have an intention, but the impact couldn't might not be what I what I'm intending. Yes. And so I have to be really cognizant of what was the impact of that interaction or what was the impact of that question? Mm -hmm. or, or how did that turn out and why? And so I'm kind of in my mind thinking about this in different ways. One is in order to meet all of these needs, there's a lot of perhaps internal work and almost a coaching perspective from an educator or school leader. And then for students or scholars, it sounds like there's a lot of um, opportunities for almost gradual release of responsibility. 
it's in many ways really supporting students who might be exhibiting challenging materials or might be struggling in, in terms of how do we communicate what's happening? How do we communicate our needs? Here's, here's an example of a way we might interact differently. So it's still having really high expectations, but also having that warmth yes. and that care and concern. And then at the same time, it's that bias work. So yes. I'm thinking about three areas. How am I doing? Well, no, you're doing, you're doing great. <laughs> and, and really, I don't mean to make it sound so simple because I, I know that it's not. And I know that mm-hmm. there's a lot of work um, that teachers and, and everyone in these buildings are doing, whether it's, yeah. whether it's in the building and, and obviously in current times and being that a lot of us have been remote for a very long time. But it really brings me back to that statement of seeing people as people. Because when we stop and 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 I hope that people will hear this and and take that and carry that and ask that question of themselves of am I seeing people as people? Because when you ask yourself that question, you really have it's automatically going to make you dive deeper because you have to really look at the fact of the 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 treatment, the, the overall treatment, you know, what is my, my tone sound like? What is my posture like? What mm-hmm. questions am I asking my scholars that can help them dive a little bit deeper? For example, you know, we can ask our scholars in a, in a moment, um, like right now with all of the things that are going on, just simply, what are your thoughts? What are you carrying right now? What does the world look like to you? Mm-hmm. And, and when we're talking about being in schools, that can be their world in that moment, that, that classroom or remote learning, um, that can be their space. I, one of the things that really stands out when I even think about that, that asking myself the question of, am I seeing people as people is how difficult remote learning has been for everyone. But it really takes me specifically um, as of, I shouldn't even say as of late, but within the last two months, there was the conversation that we were having with a lot of schools around um, cameras being turned off. And the first thing that my mind went to was, why might that be? I, I didn't go to this place of like, oh my goodness, their cameras are off. But what I was really hearing was that people wanted to discipline kids in, in, in these manners because their cameras were off. And my, my thing was like, whoa, whoa, let's, let's hold on a minute right now because this is a very difficult time that a lot of folks are going through. Are there some questions that we can ask? Are, is there some sort of understanding that we can gain before we go to that place? Because if we immediately go to that place and we, and we start doing things with our attendance or we start doing things with, with scholars' grades or, or whatever it might be or lead to, um, then are we really supporting our scholars in moments like that? Are we really helping them understand how they can handle their emotions but still be able to give them the learning that we so badly want to give to them? And, and there's always that delicate balance but when we push, 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 it can sometimes lead to 
all of the things that we we don't want to see. It can lead to that disengagement. It can lead to that piece of, you know, a scholar's mindset going to, you know, now I I just don't like you. And so I don't want to work for you. And and it becomes very simple. It's our relationship is damaged and we aren't necessarily doing anything to repair that relationship. And and again, I'm, I'm thinking of how a scholar's mindset might go okay. is my relationship is damaged with you. And they may not articulate it that way, but when they're not articulating that way, that's where I see opportunity to say, how can we help them articulate what it is that they are truly feeling? And how can we start to build a skill for that scholar as something that they can carry forward? Because they have every right to be emotional, to be upset. And again, we're all in a difficult time and, and we're trying to work through this together. So that that comes up for me just as, as an example of something that can take place remotely. But then when we go into our schools, sometimes we get caught up in the whirlwind of, of removing our scholars from the classroom. And so again, are we asking the right questions? Are we asking and, and seeking the understanding in order for us to understand the behavior as a form of communication in order for us to lead to a place of, of communication. But also, are we checking in with ourselves? Are we helping our scholars check in with themselves on that mindset piece in order to move forward? Interesting. So I would really like to kind of take our conversation into classrooms. Um, you know, I think that the example that you just elevated for us with cameras is a really, really important story for us to reflect on in terms of, like you said, like, what's the why? What's the why behind that? And how is that impacting relationships, um, specifically with teachers and students? And so once trust is damaged, then it, it, it's it's hard to repair. Yes. But, you know, it's January 2021, and many um, students and teachers across the state of Colorado and across the nation are actually returning to classrooms this month. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about those lived experiences and the trauma that so many students and their families and teachers themselves have experienced over the past nine months. We think about the trauma or stress related to everything associated with the pandemic from health to economics to education to just fear, um, housing, all of those stressors. I think about social unrest. I think about what's happening in our nation in terms of the political landscape and and really questions that are, are being explored that have never been explored publicly before, particularly around systemic racism and bias. I'm also thinking about some natural, like natural disasters that have occurred in our state in Colorado. We had an entire community wiped out by forest fires. We've also seen some other pretty big natural disasters across our country, all happening concurrently. So question for you, as we return to school, we know that stress and trauma are going to impact behavior, and we know that we're entering a new space. As teachers and as students and as school leaders, what advice do you have for everyone returning to buildings and returning to classrooms? What do we need to be mindful of? Um, that's a great question. And honestly, something that I, I personally have been thinking about quite a bit. Um, I think one of the first things that we can do is, and, and this may sound a bit cliche, but take a breath. 
Mm. Really take a step back and, and take a breath. And while I won't go too far into it right now, unless we have time a little bit later, um, is that self-care piece. Because I think when we walk into the buildings, um, that fear is going to be there. Um, that I, I use a, a picture in a lot of my trainings where there's a, a person standing in front of a sign and there's the signs pointing in the different directions of where, why, when, what, who. And, and I find myself... <laughs> I find myself in that place so often, like just when I feel like I got it, it's like, here I am again, standing at this sign. What is going on? (laughs) But I also find myself sitting in this place of making sure I let myself know that that's okay. And and I think we're also going to have to do that. As we take that breath, we're really going to have to look at this piece of, just this piece of that we're all coming in having lived this pandemic and and this real life unrest that is taking place in our society and and we're seeing it together and so we have to be willing to walk together in this so by taking that breath really sitting with that piece of you know what i don't know everything that's taking place sitting with that piece of acknowledging um that there's fear and I think we as uh, the adults in the building and, and the educators and the staff, even with one another, we have to make sure that we're checking in with one another. We have to make sure that we are making sure that people are validated in those pieces and that it, it it's a real thing and that it's okay. We need to actually say as, as leaders in buildings, as leaders of districts, uh, we need to say that that's okay. And the other piece of that, too, is I would say proactively reach out to your families and make sure you stay in contact with your families so that you understand what their experience was during this time. And whether that was loss, whether that was um, struggles financially, whether people have lost jobs, there's a lot that comes with this. And Mm -hmm. so we have to make sure that we're, we're checking in with one another. We have to make sure that we're validating those experiences and and realize that that from that trauma lens that these pieces are going to come up again and again and again because trauma is not something that just goes away trauma is something that we learn to cope with and one of the only ways i know that i've even learned to to cope with some of my trauma experiences is being honestly not only being there for others and showing up for others, but also making sure that, and, and I'm going to say this because it, it scares me to even say it, but I've, I've had to very much learn to um, be a lot more vulnerable mm. and, and be willing to be a lot more vulnerable and not try to hide it, not try to cover it up and, you know, put a Band-Aid over it all the time um, because eventually that Band-Aid gets old and falls off. And, and I can't just keep putting Band-Aids on it because I know that it's going to surface again. And so for me, it has been very much sitting back and and really reflecting on how I felt and what emotions and things have come up for myself so that when I am talking to a scholar, I'm talking to a team at a school or even talking to you right now on this podcast, I 
I'm only able to even say this right now in this moment because I have taken that time to step back and reflect. Because had this been six months ago, I, I probably would have been speaking very differently because I hadn't done that reflection. And I want people to know um, and, and hear me loud and clear, vulnerability is a superpower. It does not make you, it does not make you weak. It does not make you this, this individual who does not know how to handle this or handle that. You're not supposed to know how to handle everything. I, we, if we knew how to handle everything, right, we wouldn't have some of these other things that were taking place. And, and that's really how I have to, or, or I shouldn't even say have to, but that's, that's how I choose to look at it. Um, and, and from that mindset piece, we really have to even look at that and say, what do I choose to give power to? And if, if I'm choosing to give power to all of these pieces that frustrate me, we're likely going to create some more frustration for ourselves. Frustration is going to automatically come up because there are things that are just out of our control. But what about the opportunities and the things that are in our control? You know, for example, that good morning, that hello, that picking up the phone and calling families, that checking in with the scholar and saying, huh, seems like uh, maybe we should have a conversation just about, I don't know, lollipops, whatever it might be, so that we can make sure that as we understand and we know these are heightened times, there are heightened emotions, there is hypersensitivity that's taking place, but... I have an opportunity to be proactive in that because it's going to be there. It's not something that I'm going to rid people of. But if I can share a good laugh or I can share a good joke or I can I can be that presence to say, we're going to check in for 45 minutes today and do our social emotional learning circle. And I might use this activity. I might use another activity, whatever it might be. Um, but that's what it's going to take. It's going to take checking in. It's going to take vulnerability. It, it's going to take acknowledging that this is what I'm sitting with because it might resurface again. And showing up can can it, it doesn't have to be a big, long conversation, but it can help people relax. Um, it can give them to, the space to know that in this space, should something come up, I know that safety is you. And so therefore, within this space, I'm already feeling a little bit more safe. I'm already feeling a little bit more like when it does come up, I, I can state it this way. And if I state it the wrong way, then I can I can see that there's modeling happening around me. And so let me come back. Let me circle back. Let me do a little reflection time and come back to it. Um, but there's not going to just be this big magic wand that's waved, right? And so it's going to take time. There's, there's healing that has to take place um, with all of us. It, there, there's healing that truly has to take place. And so we don't want to come with this approach of, of blame. We want to come with this approach of support. We want to come with this approach. And what I really do, um, you'll hear this from a lot of folks um, who work directly in that trauma field is that I really suggest that people make groups um, and really take the time to make groups as, as often as they can. And again, that, that could be a circle in your classroom. Um, that might be a, a Zoom call. That might be a phone call just with you and that scholar. 
Um, but we really have to look at relationships. Relationships are going to be the piece that the more energy and, and positive that we put into our relationships, the better off we're all going to be. Um, that, that's, that's my thoughts on that. Well, and I think that's really interesting because, you know, we're really starting off the school year in the middle of the school year. Mm -hmm. And so we've had this, you know, first semester, if you will, of kind of school history and academic history and kind of going to school, either hybrid or virtually, and in some cases in person. Um, you know, some districts around the, the state and the country have kind of boomeranged in and out, in and out. But when we think about this month and we think about heading back into schools, as many teachers are going to have that opportunity or even, you know, heading into February, the emphasis on relationships, safety, recognizing what's in your locus of control, and really taking time to ensure that your students do feel that safety that you had, had you know, shared with us earlier that's so important. Um, it seems to me that there might be um, some pretty intense pressure in terms of academics. Yes. Um, you know, everyone from here to there is talking about gaps and catching kids up and what we've missed. You know, we've, we've survived a pandemic or we're surviving or trying to survive a pandemic right now. When we, so your words really just kind of slow everything down and remind us to really focus on our relationships with our students, our scholars, our colleagues, ourselves, our families that we serve. That Absolutely. seems to be key. Absolutely. You know, and thank you for saying that, because that is really what I'm saying is slow down. Um, take the opportunity to really get on your scholars levels. Take your opportunities to really get on the family's levels. And that's not to say that we have not been doing that in the world of education. That's to say that for me and, and the way that I choose to think in in this most difficult time that it has been, or one of the most difficult times that it has been, and what it has brought up for many, many, many people, um, by slowing down does not mean that we can not progress. And what I mean by that is, is if I am able to come into a space and look at a person who is my teacher or my principal or, or a person in that building, and I can take a breath and feel a little bit more relaxed, I'm probably going to be able to more often than not receive the academics better and more. And also retain during a time like this, because what we have to understand is that trauma impacts the brain. It literally impacts the brain's ability to process information. And so we know that Folks have experienced trauma prior. Folks have experienced a, a traumatic experience during now. And in whatever way that that trauma has shown up for you, it's real. It's there. And now we're asking people to come back into building spaces and, and move forward with all of this. That's really difficult to do. And so by slowing down, what we do is we are actually showing and modeling I see you. I see people as people. I've shared an experience with you. And while it may not have impacted us in the exact same way, we have all shared this experience. And 
it does not slow down does not mean stop everything you're doing. Slow down does not mean change your whole curriculum and, and things of that nature, but it might mean some tweaks. It might mean that I need to ask a lot more questions than I am giving answers in a certain moment or that or it might mean that I really need to look at my structures and systems in my school and say to myself, do we start the school day off in, in this particular building with morning circles and really checking in with our scholars and what they're coming into the building with in order for us to proactively understand if something does come up because of these lived experiences or, or past lived experience as well, how can I respond? See, we, we spend, and maybe this is a natural way of, of how things just kind of happen sometimes, not maybe it is often, um, but we react versus responding. And so it's just kind of like these knee jerk things that we do. And we get into this cycle mode of doing that. But if we start to respond, then again, we're going to find an understanding and we're going to gain knowledge about our scholars, about ourselves, about our peers within the building. We're going to gain something that allows us to really understand how we can work together in this time and how we can move together in a time that has been so difficult. Um, and I think that's necessary. I, I really I, I, I call on leadership in buildings to really do this and to really take time because I, I read there was a post that that a friend of mine put on Facebook and um, I'll, I'll have to send it to you if I can find it again. But it was a post that was actually talking about that scholars are the, 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 that this myth of scholars being behind is is a myth, because what we really are not looking at is the structure of education and what education is is actually delivering to our scholars that allow us to then say that our scholars are left behind. And that's in every form and, and that goes deeper into the bias work that goes deeper into that mindset piece that I was speaking about. But when we when we look at the way we deliver some of the information that we deliver to our scholars and then they don't perform the way we think that they should perform, then are they are they really behind? Or is it that we're not taking the time to slow it down and, and bring it to the forefront of we need to look at curriculum or we need to look at the way we roll this out or we need to look at are we looking at our scholars social emotional well-being and when we talk about the whole child we cannot talk about the whole child and and just talk about academics and we can't just talk about social emotional learning and say whole child either without the two combining and coming together there is no whole child it, it's it's not something we can continue to say when we're not balancing the two, but we're pushing our kids forward, literally just push, 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 push. But then when it comes to that social emotional piece coming up and, and I don't say this to to sound like I'm calling any individuals out. I'm, I'm really asking all of us to look a little bit deeper into this. And to really acknowledge that, yes, we have done some great things, but we've gotten some things very much wrong. And in order to move forward, we have to acknowledge the pieces that we may have not necessarily gotten right. And part of that very much comes with social emotional learning, because 
we, we jump around with it sometimes. The reality is that if we don't spend four to six weeks on really putting systems and structures together for our scholars to be successful, whether that's a peace corner, whether that's a reflection sheet, whether that's a check-in at lunch or having lunch with our scholars, I, I realize that that's difficult to do. And that's why I'm saying, I think that's actually something that needs to be put at the forefront. And by slowing down with some of these pieces and, and doing those morning circles and checking in with our families and looking at how can we be proactive, not reactive, but how can we be proactive? And what does that look like? You know, a, a, a little gesture goes a long way. You know, that, that phone call to that family just to say hello. I'm not calling you to talk about academics. I'm not calling you to talk about behavior. I just want to know how you're doing. Did you have five minutes to chat with me? And that's it. Not not 30 minutes, not 20 minutes, three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes. And, and we know that that can come in many different forms, right? That can come in the form of a phone call. That can come in the form of, of an email in some cases, if, if that capability is there. That can come in the form of a note being sent home. But when you look at so many times of how communication goes is... It, it's it's got to have something tied to it, whether that's behavior, academics, uh, a need that we sometimes need met as educators in order to do our job. I, I, I understand that as well. Um, but again, it takes me back to that piece of are we seeing people as people? Brad, you have given us so much to think about, so many practical ideas and a really huge nudge. I mean, really that, you know, you kind of gave us a call to action or, or a charge to really examine the systems and structures. I just appreciate your insights and your time this morning so much. So as we wrap up, what would you like everyone to be thinking about as they, you know, finish walking the dog or emptying the dishwasher, whatever they might be doing, you know, driving to work while they're listening to this? I want to give you the last word and thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. And, and again, Michelle, I, I appreciate you putting this platform here for me. I, I really enjoyed this time. And I hope that as people listen to this, um, they, they're able to take a little bit of something, even if it's just a sentence away. But what I would say, um, I, I would love for people to honestly take a moment to reflect and really go back to your why. Mm. I I wish I had something more profound to say, and, but that really is what it is. I, I hope people take an opportunity to reflect and I hope people take an opportunity to know that you are very much appreciated for the work that you do, for the work that you've done, for the work that, that you continue to do. Um, so please do not think that it goes unnoticed. Please do not think that um, your your struggle is not seen. Um, it very much is. And it's going to take us coming together and working together to, to really move forward because this has been a very difficult time. And I want people to be able to acknowledge that. Um, I, I wish I could reach out to everybody. I, I wish, you know, I'm always telling people, feel free to email me, call me, text me, <laughs> because for me, that's been very much a part of my healing um, is being connected with people in, in whatever capacity that might be. I, I've done everything from pen pals to 
checking in with people on the phone. So that reflective piece is very important. But also, lastly, I think I'll say the vulnerability piece. Vulnerability is a superpower. You are you are not in this alone. You you are not here to do this all by yourself. Um, so please lean on each other, talk to each other, support each other, support families, um, support the scholars, and take the time to really check in with yourself and check in with one another. There's a lot of work still to be done, but we're we're getting there. We're we're moving in the right direction, and I just want to see us continue to move in the right direction. Brad, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together provided inspiration and information. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Phenomenal Teaching by Wendy Wardhofer. We now provide customized virtual and on-site professional development, coaching, institutes, and digital courses. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org.